This is your pal, Dave. We have another enticing episode of the Wrestling Geeks Alliance. It's going to be a slobber knocker in the making. And everything's going to get really fucking crazy. Alright, so sorry for yelling at you guys. Um, hope you're still here. But, um, yeah, we have another great episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance for you guys tonight. I'm your pal, Dane. Um, and we also have, of course, Mr. Christopher Ray Patton. Chris, did you like the little intro? Yeah, man, you were really nailing your JR there. I, I got, I got where you're going with that. Like a one-legged man in an impersonation contest. Like that one wrestler that had one leg that fought Brock Lesnar. What's his yeah, name? Yeah, that guy. Doesn't matter. Yeah, He's doing big yeah, things. Yeah. Well, anyways, anyways, guys, we have a full show for you guys tonight. Um, just full of fun and wrestling talk. So remember. If you guys want to call in and ask a question, call 929-477-3781. You'll be on hold at that point. Press 1 to ask a question. So, uh, you know, Chris, there's actually quite a few news items that we have to go over tonight. I hope we can get to Raw and SmackDown, but if not, you know, shit happens. So uh, do you want to get started on everything? Yeah, dude. I'm ready. Pumped. One of these days I expect you to go like, no, man, I want to wait. You know, let's let's wait ten minutes, and then I'm gonna be like. I feel like that's a bad. I feel like, I feel like that's a bad joke, though. Like a dad joke. I, I, I would I would say it, but you know, whatever. Dad jokes are fun, I guess. So are dad dogs. <laughs> and I have both of them. Uh, anyways, uh, so so Chris, this is the uh, 20 year anniversary of the uh, infamous Montreal Screwjob. Uh, something that a lot of people, me also including, consider like one of the catalysts. That made the Attitude Era. So, along obviously with the Stone Cold, uh, you know, Bret Hart double turn, and probably going all the way back to Goldust and uh, Roddy Roddy Piper, you know, and their their street fight at Mania the year previous to that. But this was the big deal. This is where Vince McMahon became Mr. McMahon. Um, and it's 20 years, which is crazy because more stuff to prove that I'm really old, uh, which is awesome. Because I remember watching this live and being very confused because my dad would tell me that wrestling is not real. And it would piss me off. And so I believed him. And this stuff seemed pretty damn real. And so I didn't think it was real. So they got me. Well, I guess they didn't really get me because they didn't mean to do it. What I'm trying to say to you, Christopher, is talk about the Montreal Screwjob and, and, and how it affected your wrestling viewing and you know how it became basically the Attitude Era. So the Montreal Screwjob for me at the time period didn't mean as much because I was more of a WCW fan growing up as a kid. Um, but as far as how it affected the business, I mean, it, it created the heel character of Vince McMahon to eventually face off against Stone Cold Steve Austin and pretty much single-handedly in WCW at the end of the day. I mean, there's definitely some others that should be credited, but... Uh, probably the greatest rivalry of all time, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. And it all started by screwing Brett or Brett screwed Brett or whichever way you want to go with that. Uh, I mean, it blew up even in news magazine, you know, rest, like Pro Wrestling Illustrated and stuff as a kid. I always uh, got, got in bed. And, uh, I mean, I remember this being a massive deal even back then as a kid. It's incredible to think that it's been 20 years, man. And, it, and like how much has happened since then and how many uh, wrestlers we kind of fell in love with after that coming out of the Attitude Era with WWE and then like or WWF and then going into uh, more of the modern era. It's, it's nuts to just think about uh, 
what that did for both Bret Hart's career, moving to WCW, which from then on out kind of just fluttered, um, and then for you know Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin, the amount of business they did up until like making that company publicly traded. And it's, it's just crazy to think about, in all honesty. Uh, but like I said, as far as a reaction, as a kid, I didn't see this live. Um, probably the first time I really dug into it was the documentary Wrestling with Shadows. Uh, later on, you know, I like knew what had happened and kind of had like a take of uh, the people that wrote in Pro Wrestling Illustrated and, and Wrestling Observer. But um, man, as a like watching the first time I ever watched uh, Wrestling with Shadows with Bret Hart, that was uh, that was probably the most eye-opening thing about kind of the bat behind the scenes of the business. Like at this point, I'd I, I'd been reading so many magazines and stuff, I kind of had a general idea that you know, wrestling was. That was not scripted. It wasn't meant to be. Uh, the same thing with the click. So it's it's kind of crazy to think about. And I think, you know, the, the craziest thing to think about is where the business went from there and how it went from uh, – the Attitude Error had already started at that point, obviously. But I, to me, Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin launched that thing into full force. And uh, it, it's, it's nuts. No, I agree. And for anyone that doesn't know, you know, I mean – if you're a wrestling fan, you usually know what the Montreal screw job is. But if you don't, so basically, 20 years ago today, they had a Raw, I believe, in Montreal. I don't think it was a pay per view. Uh, it was a pay per view. Wrong, Chris. It was yes, a it was a pay per view. Okay. Uh, I believe it was in your house. Uh, let me well, right. fact check that for me. Um, but uh, yeah, so basically, while well, he's checking it, um, Survivor. So didn't want to. Dr- it was Survivor Series, yes, in Montreal, which is in Canada. Bret Hart didn't want to lose a title. He had no problem, apparently, from what he says, dropping it to Sean, but wanted to do it because he was leaving, basically. And it was – Vince understood completely, apparently. Well, this is from Bret, from him saying. He, he knew that he couldn't pay him the money, that WCW could, and this was a big opportunity for Bret. So they knew Bret was going, and they had to get the title off them. Bret thought it was in poor taste for him to lose it in Canada and just wanted to wait until it was a raw the next week. Um, and of course, Shawn Michaels, even though he acted like an innocent person in all of this was a big person, a part of it, this kind of made triple H first come on scene. I mean, he kind of was behind Shawn Michaels most of the time, but where he started really, you know, influencing Vince's direction a little bit. And they were like, screw it. How about we just put him in the, uh, you know, the sharpshooter, you, you put him in the sharpshooter and we'll call the bell. <clears throat> he won't do it, but we'll pretend that it's, it's you know, we'll, basically we'll take the title off him. We'll screw him over. And that's where Screwjob comes from. So that's literally what happened. Uh, Sean put Brett in the sharpshooter. Brett didn't tap out at all. Uh, Earl Hebner called the match. And uh, the rest is history. And Brett, that was pretty much the end of his career. Uh, he would go to WCW and, yeah, WWE years later. But the amount of momentum that he had, he was screwed in WCW, completely sidelined for, I believe, a year when he was first signed, and they had nothing for him to do afterwards anyways. So <clears throat> just really rough, but the good things that came out of that, obviously, DX was now just huge. Like, that was, like, really the stepping stone in that direction with Triple H and, and Shawn Michaels. Vince would become a heel as Mr. McMahon, and Stone Cold was already gaining popularity, had someone to feud with, that was up to his level. Uh, and they also took it along with the whole click thing and not a reality 
because that's like comparing to the reality era, but like a much less cheesy uh, way of doing it like they did previous. I remember watching this because at this point I was watching, I started watching WCW, so I was watching them both back to back. And this is when WWE started catching my interest again after years of just kind of like losing it. So it was a pretty big event, and uh, it took years for Brett and Sean to, uh, you know, make amends. It took years for Brett and Vince to make amends from all this. So it just changed the landscape of the whole entire wrestling, everything. I mean, you know, that and the NWO starting and WCW were the two things that had the second boom. Uh, in wrestling, uh, the first one probably being the rock and roll era in WWE in the 80s, and obviously everything was going on in NWA at, at the time too, but those are the two probably biggest, most popular runs for wrestling, and I think obviously the Attitude Era and the Nitro Era were the most popular, so it's crazy to look back. Uh, we were we were wee lads uh, back then, Chris. Yeah, and it's weird because Survivor Series used to be in August, which is why it just didn't really come to mind right away. So I guess they're calling it the anniversary because it's the 20th Survivor Series. So um, my only, you know, my ah. biggest problem with this is uh, the angle. Like they've tried to use this angle so many times since then, and that is more annoying than anything else. Um, and another thing is Earl Hemner, who's also in the news, um, just released from Impact, was the referee during this match. And uh, yep. Swore to Brett up and down. He didn't think there was going to be any kind of screw job, and then was the one who called the bell as the official. So it's kind of weird to think about like how this stuff kind of ties together after a time period. And uh, maybe we'll see Earl, Earl Hibner back in the WWE. I, I could, you know, he can still rap. You know, I meant to put that in actually. We can we can make a quick word about that uh, coming out of the screw job, which huge moment. Just want to reflect on that a little bit. Earl Hibner has been released from Impact. Uh, Chris, if he were to come back. Do you think that either this year or next year he should be in the WWE Hall of Fame? I think that I know it's a referee, but I think that he's so important. He is to uh, you know the WWE what Red Shoes is to New Japan. Um, so I feel you know if they can get over their stuff, which I think they could. You know, cooler heads usually prevail with Vince as long as he sits down, and talks to him, and Roll's been around for a while. But do you think that he's Hall of Fame material at all, even though he's a referee? I think he, like him and Little Nate should both probably get into the Hall of Fame at some point. I mean, referees are a bigger deal than people give them credit for. They do a lot more in the ring uh, than I think the average person thinks about. And uh, Earl Hemner's a guy that's been around forever, and even after that, he refed a bunch of great matches. And he never – later in his career, he got a little more uh, – almost, like, kind of comical sometimes with the way he reps, but originally, like, I, he's been a big part of some very significant matches, and I think that there's definitely a way that you could uh, make him a, you know, a famous referee, put, put him in there. I mean, there's no reason why you can't have a referee wing of the Hall of Fame. I mean, the Wrestling Hall of Fame in general is just mostly popular opinion who Vince likes and dislikes. So, if you're going to have a ref in the Hall of Fame, probably him and Little Nate's because they also had angles within wrestling. So it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just, you know, Hey, they're good referees. You know, they also had storylines and stuff that they built off of, uh, Montreal Screwjob specifically with Earl Hibner. And they've had similar stuff with, uh, Little Nate's going back to WCW and also, uh, um, some in WWE and he's still refing now. So it'd be kind of cool that, you know, I, I would love to see a classic match with Earl Hibner, uh, maybe an NXT calling a match at, uh, and J, JR, JR calling a match and uh, 
you know, Earl Hemner refing a match just for nostalgia purposes for the, you know, the fans that absolutely like, get it that stuff. I think it would be really cool. And I, I would love to see him come back in a capacity where they're not going to make him do a screw job. Just like he's going to ref a match. Ugh. An important match. Like an well, NXT yeah. title. Maybe have Mania. Just one. Like, induct him in the Hall of Fame, let him ref one more match at Mania, maybe the, the main event. Like you were saying with JR, like, doing the commentating. And that's it. I mean, if you want to do more, and if they can work it out, they have kind of a full ref staff, but I mean, it's Earl Hefner. I mean, I, I think that the two main guys, like you said, Little Nation and then Mike Yoda, you know, I think they can have room for Earl and maybe even his son, too, uh, who's very prominent on uh, Impact and stuff. There's another Impact question. This came up right beforehand. We can go over it, too. So the rumors, nothing's going to be confirmed, but, you know, it's been going around for a while that, that uh, Lance Storm, not Lance Storm, that, <laughs> God dang it, uh, what's his name? James Storm. Yeah, I screwed James myself Storm. up. That he might be uh, leaving uh, TNA uh, none of this contracts up, I believe, or not TNA, but Impact. And um, there's word that there's possibility that he might be going to NXT. Do you think that at his age, especially, that James Storm could still become a big name in the WWE if he made the transition in the next like year? James Storm, uh, he's forty, so he's similar age as Bobby Roode. I feel like there's stuff that they could definitely do with him. And he could probably have a good run in NXT and then maybe transition into a tag partner um, for Bobby Roode down the road if they wanted to go that route to reunite kind of beer money in the sense. But what about you know, a fashion with him? Yeah, or something like that. I just don't see him uh, at his age and his size because he is a he's he's only he's only six foot I believe, and um, as stacked as that roster is, it'd be really hard get there now. I think if they would have got beer money back in the day, you could have had one of the most dominant tag teams um, in WWE. That 2008 to 2011 period with Bobby Roode and uh, James Storm was just kind of fucking incredible, like what they were able to accomplish. And their matches with the Motor City Machine Guns, specifically, were really, really great. Like, uh, I, I, you know, we don't talk a lot about TNA. We try to, and um, it's always good to give call-outs for some matches like that. Like, uh, for instance, they their matches with uh, uh, Jay Lethal versus uh, Jay Lethal and uh, Xavier Woods or Austin Creed at the time or Consequences Creed. Uh, their matches with uh, the Dudley Boys and their matches with uh, LAX and uh, the Motor City Machine Guns I think are all things that you should check out if you like tag team wrestling. And I feel like a lot of people forget that uh, at, at one point, TNA specifically had way better tag team wrestling than WWE. So if you're a fan of tag team wrestling, that time period from like yeah, like 2007 to 2011, 2008, 2011, some really great tag team shit happened uh, with beer money and the division they had there. So, I mean, I would, me personally as a fan, I would love to see them guys, even if it was just like a one-off tag match or something. James Storm, I, he still can go in the ring. He has dealt with some injuries. I thought he was really good on impact leading his faction. I can't think of the name of the faction. Um, but I would love to hear him, you know, one last time and maybe a WWE ring or NXT ring tell someone that he's sorry about their damn luck. <laughs> so uh, I'm all for it, but I, I don't know if it's going to happen just because of how stacked WWE is right now. They have so much talent they don't know what to do with that it. it's kind of yeah. ridiculous. And, and James Storm might just get thrown to the wayside. But he could come in in like a rhino capacity at first and make it see what they want to do with him. I don't know that they're going to give him the kind of push that they gave Bobby Roode or uh, 
uh, AJ Styles or, you know, some of these other guys like uh, Sami Zayn or Chris Hero, just because I think the notoriety behind James Storm is mostly tied to his tag team uh, with boxing group. And it's not to say that, you know, James Storm is a good wrestler. It has nothing to do with that. He just never quite had the charisma that Bobby Roode did, um, in my personal opinion. But he's a great wrestler. He's definitely good in a tag team. They could possibly put him with someone else and do something kind of cool. But, you know, he's... No, I like that because because with NXT, he could be like, you know, like you said, Chris Hero, you know, Cassius Erno, like just hang out for a while and become big within that, that company and maybe obviously make a transition tag team wise. He's a, I only know him and I'm only experienced with him what I've seen recently. And I kind of gave him like, he was somehow a baby face, but he was bitching about the, the triple uh, A Mexicans being over in impact and invading his space. Very like, you know, stereotypical redneck style. But what, what is this gimmick? They call him the cowboy. Like what is, what is that exactly? Like, is that like an American badass type of, concept or, or like Steve Austin or Terry Funk, like what what is James well, Storm name, for someone that doesn't know much about him? Well the Cowboy basically beer money in general. So James Storm was kind of a Steve Austin esque character. Um he'd wear a cowboy hat, had a country like kind of theme song. But beer money, the entire thing was him and Bobby Roode were unlikely Bobby Roode was supposed to be a rich Canadian hanging out with a drunk, like a Stone Cold Steve Austin type character. So that's where, you know, the, the term, the cowboy James Storm came from. And he would smash beer bottles over people's heads. Beer Money was kind of a heel tag team, but they were like unlikely partners. And that's kind of why their gimmick worked. And that, that's why they're called Beer Money. And that's where the cowboy James Storm comes from. Um, I'm sure he had his, that name already, but when they put them together, it kind of made that gimmick. And that's why that name kind of stuck around. For a long time, he was like a, anti-authority, stone-cold Steve Austin type character. That's a very cool... I dig. I was just wondering, you know, maybe getting him somewhere with Bobby Roode in the future would be the best way to put him, but you probably have to put him on a faction. Um, I think that, obviously, Bobby Roode's, like, you know, moved past that type of concept. You know, now he has, like, his Rick Roode, Ric Flair-esque type of thing, but, yeah, cool. I'm down. I want to see... James Storm uh, on NXT. I love NXT. Um, you know, week to week, sometimes I like it better than SmackDown and Raw. So it's, it's crazy how that works out. I wish that they would just kind of embrace that as a third brand and just let it be how it is, not like a, you need to move up and that's it. But we've talked about that at length. Let's move on to the actual news stories. Um, and if you didn't watch it at all, Chris, uh, I completely understand, but did you get a chance to see uh, the GSP Michael Bisping fight on Saturday night? I saw GSP did a kind of a surprising win because he did not look like the GSP of old. I watched uh, the highlights. I did not watch the entire fight. But I was kind of surprised by the outcome. Yeah, uh, completely agree with you. But the thing is, like, I think I believe it, it ended in the third round or maybe it ended in the second round. Um, I want to say it was the third round because I believe GSP dominated the first round. He even got, like, a Superman punch out of nowhere – a hook Superman punch, basically, on the opposite hand, nailed uh, Michael Bisping, and then tried to do a, man, a spin kick uh, of sorts and barely missed him. And he's just, he's so ridiculously fast, so technical, so efficient. And I love both of these guys. Um, I've been a big fan of MMA, and 
the time period that they both, you know, were, were popular, Michael's been doing a lot more championship-wise, but I watched his rise from, uh, not tough enough, but uh, the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, from that, and obviously going in the big leagues in the UFC, and GSP was a champion for a while, this stuff with BJ Penn is just legendary. So see him come back, he got pretty cut open bad uh, and won somehow. <sighs> Basically, he was on top, and Bisping was, was just throwing elbows and sliced him open once and then really sliced him open above his eye. He was bleeding everywhere, and somehow he was still able to get a punch and then, you know, went after Bisping. Uh, Bisping exposed his back, and then he got choked at by GSP. And it was, it was a beautiful choke. Everything's so precise. He's, he's a monster. I also love uh, that I found out that he's a huge uh, wrestling mark. Uh, another one. So all those motherfuckers out there that talk shit about the professional wrestling and love MMA, a lot of those fighters actually love wrestling, so just jump off a bridge or something. You know, it can have water to catch you. I'm not saying jump in sharks. I'm just saying jump off a bridge, hit cold water. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just saying just he's a badass. Um, there was, so was, there was an interesting... There was an interesting quote by Chell Sonnen uh, after the fight where he basically said it's the worst he had ever seen GSP fight but he's still the best ever. So take that for what it's worth. But it was entertaining. The highlight reel was entertaining. I want to go back and watch the whole fight because I just saw, you know, the clips of him getting busted open, the Superman punch, and then that rear naked choke victory. Um, but for a guy that's 36 going against a guy who's 38, it's kind of crazy, you know. Like, this being 38, George, uh, GSP is 36. There's still a huge draw. And uh, the thing oh, about... Yeah about UFC right now is they don't have a lot of big draws. So bringing George nope. St. Pierre back is, uh, is smart on their on their part. Probably the greatest Canadian fighter for UFC as far as I can, you know, as far as I know. I can't think of anyone else on, like, even close to him as far as Canadians go, right? He's French-Canadian? Yes, he is. Right? Do you know his favorite wrestlers? Probably Owen Hart. Owen Hart. Bret Hart, no <laughs> Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and Hulk Hogan, but Bret Hart's his favorite. But Hulk well, Hogan got him started. He picked the wrong brother. He <laughs> uh, picked the wrong son. Anyways, but yeah, uh, he's a maniac. And Chel Sonnen's another dude. He, I love Chel Sonnen. I think he's great. I always thought that, like, this guy must have loved wrestling. And then it was confirmed that not only was he a Piper fan, but he trained Piper's son in MMA and was good. He like became really good friends with them and actually used a lot of his, you know, Piper's promos for his promos, like kind of based it off of it. So I just love bridging that gap between the two. Now the fucking crazy thing is, Jeff Chell Sutton um, was supposed to start in um, what the hell? It used to be Impact, and it was uh, Jeff Jarrett's promotion. Uh, it's gone yeah, now. Yeah, uh, Global Force. Yeah, he. Like two years ago, and then something got screwed up in the contract, and he said, screw this, and ditched it, and they never went back to trying to do wrestling again. Thanks a lot, whoever was in charge of that. (laughs) Charles Sonnen would have been a lot of fun in professional wrestling. God. Anyway. Uh, Well, uh, it's it's crazy crazy to think about about. I would just say the the recent transition of wrestling in other sports is kind of crazy. And we've talked about that before, but, like, even tonight, like I said, they're having WWE night across the uh, NHL. The Devils are having a WWE night right now. They put out video packages. Glorious. Think, uh, glorious, which was kind of cool. So it's it's neat. And then uh, hearing them talk about it on that Ric Flair documentary uh, just even kind of confirmed it more, uh, showing all the, you know, the athletes who were so inspired by uh, – 
by people like Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's just cool to see that reach in general, and, and even more so with UFC because they actually have a chance to cut promos. Like with uh, people like Chel Sonnen and Conor McGregor, they definitely have that kind of swagger. Uh, and I mean that day back, you can you could say also say you know Muhammad Ali, who was huge, huge uh, George fan. But where? So you can. But yeah, exactly. You can, exactly. <laughs> you can check out my article I wrote about the greatest heel of all time. <laughs> On the, uh, it was a great on article. Our blog, but but uh, yeah, it's it's just cool. It's cool to see that stuff and how it translates and how it uh, morphs over time. But it's kind of you know a lot of that swagger relates back to us. What I love is, and I mean, and you kind of said half of it is that MMA has influenced like the actual you know MMA style of combining jujitsu and, and and Muay Thai and all these other forms that has influenced wrestling, just like beforehand Lucha Libre did and Japanese Strong Style did. Uh, with the original Greco-Roman, you know, base, if you will, from over here in the U.S. But, like, all these type of concepts have combined, and then MMA gives us the ability to make it even look more realistic with a lot of fighters using those type of holds, like the Muay Thai clench and, and, and whatnot. But then wrestling has influenced boxing and also MMA for the promos and, and that type of, of, of realism of – most of the time when these guys are talking shit about each other, they, they actually respect the crap out of each other. Just They're just playing a game and trying to make a good, you know, performance. Like, even as soon as McGregor and, and uh, we watched it live, uh, and Mayweather were done, it was all respect, all respect, all respect. And that's how it usually is. GSB and uh, Bisping, too. So just it's just crazy how that works out, and it's good to see all these type of uh, athletes showing love for their, you know, the other respected sports. So... Uh, and yes, I consider wrestling a sport. If you don't, I don't even know why the hell you're listening. All right, let's go to the uh, next topic. Uh, one that's really confusing, Chris. Uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were sent home from WWE's European tour. Um, from what Dave Metzler said on the Wrestling Observer, uh, there was some type of tension. There, apparently, what he's hearing is what he says, and he said apparently a lot of times to make it, to clarify that nothing's exact. There had been a little bit of tension between their attitudes, the two of them, uh, maybe kind of adopting a very similar Shawn Michaels, Triple H, or, or Kevin Nash type of, you know, uh, arrogance, if you will. I have no idea. I'm just kind of speculating on that. But backstage, and that apparently this also might have been some of the reasons why Kevin Owen went home beforehand. I don't know if he's trying to push his weight around or whatnot. But I hate that both these guys have been finally developed, especially Kevin Owens in this last year. Um, and now they're having problems. So during the show, there was supposed to be a spot where KO and Sami Zayn were supposed to get their ass kicked after Sami lost to Kofi Kingston. And this was this is on um, SmackDown. We'll talk a little bit about that later if we get to it. This is one of the main things from it. Um, so they were supposed to stay in the ring, and Kevin Owens is having apparently arguments with creative, him and Sammy, about that that shouldn't happen. They should be able to flee. So not only did they go off script and just say their own promos the way that they wanted, they also left throughout that whole entire thing and as a uh, punishment got set home for it. Uh, so they're not going to be on the rest of the European tour. They're supposed to be going next week. Um, who are they supposed to fight? I believe the, the New Day, actually, yeah. Supposed to have a tag match. We don't know. If he, he Basically, this is what Dave Messer said. He says, we don't know if they're gone from the tour, um, you know, or gone in general. Like, and I think he meant just, like, in general from the whole entire tour, if, like, they're coming back or whatever. He has no idea. Um, 
But there's also a thing that we don't know what the hell is involved with them when it comes to Survivor Series because there's, there's nothing for them to do. All we know is that they might screw over the other team, but there's no actual match for the two of them after this huge, tremendous push. I don't know if this could somehow be all an elaborate work and this is all just bullshit and this is going to tie into everything. I don't think Dave Metzler would be, you know, putting that much detail into it. I could be wrong, Chris. What do you think from all this? I honestly took it as Kevin Owens probably wasn't very happy about losing a match to Shane McMahon to set up Shane McMahon as the team captain and then to not be in the Survivor Series match and then ask to basically do a job for the New Day to basically, I mean, they're just going to be there to take a loss to the New Day um, to pump up Shield versus New Day at Survivor Series, which is where they seem to be going uh, since Shield lost their titles. Uh, Kevin Owens and Timmy Zane have notoriously been, they've been known for doing this in the past. Like Jim Cornette's not crazy in saying that uh, if they don't like something creative gives them, they'll speak out about it. And I think it's amplified by the fact that it's leading up to Survivor Series and it's specifically leading up with two of the biggest things in WWE, which would be uh, the New Day and the Shield. And Um, to me, it sounds like because it's built around Kofi Kingston and, and once again, this is all speculation, but uh, just based on these two people's paths and how Survivor Series is shaking out, my guess is they weren't too happy about doing a job to the New Day because Kevin Owens is a former heavyweight champion. Uh, I don't know, man. It just it's, it sounds like they didn't want to lose clean, and they didn't want to say the things that they were going to have them say. They're just protecting themselves. They're protecting their gimmick, and, you know, can't can't hate on them for that. Uh, and also, it's like, you know, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, they're made, they made their WWE money. They may want to go somewhere else, too. It's like, I don't necessarily think that if they're not happy with what they're doing, they'll leave and just take their money and go home, probably. So, I, I don't know. But to me, it's it's a situation in which they're being asked to lose to the New Day, not be part of Survivor Series, so that the New Day can have a match against the Shield. And then they probably run in on that match or something. I, I don't know. But it sounds like they hated everything about it. I can understand. I can also, and I mean, this is something that many wrestlers have done, uh, including Hulk Hogan and uh, Sunkle C. Boston. So, you know, protecting your gimmick um, is pretty important. Protecting where you are. Because, yeah, that's the thing. It's like they've had such a huge push Chris in the last like well like I said Kevin Owens has and now Sammy has finally gotten turned around with his heel persona and there it's, it's pretty over and now it's like this is when you go you know full speed and you don't take breaks and I can see why they're frustrated but a part of me also thinks that you know maybe it was the fact that they're finally pushing Sammy and that they've kind of like left him in the gutter so many times but Kevin they've always pretty been pretty good to him it, it seems you know, it, 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 I'm not going to say it seems. It's easy for someone to think that they're being a little bit unruly, if that's the case, but they don't like exactly where they're going when, really, when it comes to wrestling, we know that there could be a section that could be a little bit troubling. I mean, Bray Wyatt did, like, three of those. Uh, but eventually, especially if you're pushed, like Kevin Owens is, you're going to get out on top at some point. So, I don't know. I mean, this really goes back to I- WWE's creative not having a good understanding of where to go and having like a a uh, plan, if, if you will. 
Um, if I was, yeah, him, I mean, I mean, this sucks. I was going yeah, to say, go ahead. All I was going to say is, uh, if you look back at the past two or three months with both Sammy and Owens, they've taken a lot of losses. Um, even though they're building Owens' character, he did drop the U.S. title twice to AJ Styles, hasn't been involved in the main event at all, has been kind of their Miz character on SmackDown, and uh, is probably the second-best wrestler that they have, and probably they're definitely their best heel. Uh, AJ Styles is probably the best, you know, obviously the best wrestler, pure wrestler. Sami Zayn is probably up there Two, second or third, and, I, and and then Dolph Ziggler probably like fourth on that list as far as like in ring ability, and uh, they make them do a lot. Yeah, of I jobs. completely understand, Jim. Um, so. I don't know. With one of the things we're going to talk about in a second, I mean, we can kind of go into it. Um, it seems if this didn't happen, they had a perfect opportunity to just throw the belts, the tag belts, because of what happened to uh, Jay. We haven't heard word if he's going to be good to go. He feels like a pretty messed up during that match from um, from Chuck Gable. So with that happening, theoretically, with book, quick booking, you could put the titles, make Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, uh, I don't know, the next night, because they have to, because it's Survivor Series, and they have to have someone to go against the bar, you know, do one of those angles where you have KO and Sami uh, versus Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin. They win heelish as shit, get the titles, and have them go against the bar, so you have something for those two big stars to do. And then after that, as soon as Usos are ready, if you want that back on them, make them lose. And then have KO and Sammy do whatever the hell. But now they're out. We don't know what the hell's going on, if they're even going to be at Survivor Series. And you might have the Usos out because of Jey Uso's leg. So um, kind of that, that idea just threw out at you. And the fact also that Jay got his leg you know, injured is a separate topic. How would you feel about all that? Sorry, I accidentally muted myself. Uh, I haven't heard about how uh, how bad Jay's injury is, but, I mean, the fallback would definitely be, I would assume, would be either the Bludgeon Brothers or Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, depending on what they spin up. It's just weird that they weren't even talked about as being on this pay-per-view where a week out and they're getting sent home. Um, and it seems like there was a, to me, there was a similar situation apparently with Emma where she wasn't necessarily agreeing with the way she was being booked uh, before they sent her home. So I think there's some tension building with some of these superstars feeling, you know, underutilized in a way. And, and, and in some situations they are. I don't necessarily think that Kevin Owens has been underutilized. Uh, it's more that they booked themselves into a corner with Jinder Mahal. Where they had to get the title off of and they had to have someone for Lesnar to fight. Um, to me, like a, like AJ Styles is a good option there. I think that a lot of people would have liked to have seen Nakamura so they could have took the title off that way and gave AJ something to do with Kevin Owens. You know, it's they're definitely go playing up the Raw versus SmackDown thing, and I feel like it's left a lot of wrestlers with nothing to do uh, because of how much top talent that they have. And uh, someone like Sami Zayn and, and Kevin Owens are kind of left out to dry, unfortunately. And for Sami, it's it happens too often. And uh, at the end of the day, him and Kevin Owens are, in real life, best friends. And if Kevin Owens can throw his weight a little bit around and help Sami out, especially now that they're teammates, um, 
I definitely see that being a thing. Like uh, I, I don't, I don't see this being an elaborate work. Uh, being that Kevin Owens has been kind of silent about it on Twitter, uh, knowing the character he plays, it seems like it's kind of legitimate and that there's speed there. But uh, well, I guess would, heads. what were you gonna say? I was gonna say. I mean, my guess would be that you know Jay. If Jay's not hurt, the uh, Jay's not hurt, they're going to be there. But like Kevin Owens' last post was like, the amount of losers and idiots in the crowd at WWE Madrid tonight is something to behold. I really can't wait to leave. And then he said, not again, right after, I guess, meaning, he's kind of been silent, and he's usually a guy that's pretty calm. Something's going on. Uh, And if Dave Meltzer... Elcher is talking about it in a way that it sounds like he's been talking about it. I, I would assume that there's some heat there and that he's just trying not to get himself in trouble or whatever, just knowing him, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's just like, a, you know, I, I keep on saying, let's let's hope the cooler heads prevail and we can get past that. And hopefully Jay's not hurt. I watched, I witnessed it live and it was really a bad leg roll. Basically, um, if you guys didn't see it out there, Chad Gable was outside and he went for a chop block on Jay's leg. And basically Jay didn't move his leg enough and kind of just, as soon as Chad fell forward, he went and took his leg with it and just completely wrapped it up. They had to call the match uh, and Jay got, Jay got a count out because of it so they could retain the titles, but that was definitely on the fly. That was not something that's supposed to happen. So I'm hoping. Oh, we have a quick update for you. Um, apparently he wrestled a house show tonight. So okay, so he returned to action uh, um, amidst rumors of injury. Just so this this news article is from three or four hours ago, so it seems like he's going to be in Survivor Series, which further puts us in doubt of what Kevin Owens is going to be doing. Anything. Well, that's that sucks for them, but you know, I mean, at least Jay's not hurt. Uh, that was definitely, if anyone was wondering, it, it definitely. I forgot who was going over it. It might have been Brian Metzler, but it wasn't a part of the show. That was definitely if Jay's okay, it's it's it didn't screw him up that badly. Uh he wasn't selling it. That that was a very painful thing to watch. But uh you know, obviously things are better and uh I'm glad that you gave me that update, Chris. Let's go on to the next thing. Uh very, very cool. We had the first in two different stories that we're gonna talk about involving um, you know, the WWE talent, if you will, showing up at different organizations. Uh, Triple H, uh, alongside with uh, Pete Dunne, showed up at a show of ICW. Uh, the video was really cool. He just came out, uh, you know, gave Pete a little bit of, you know, praise and stuff like that. And it was just weird seeing Triple H at an indie promotion, uh, especially a small England-based uh, one. I'm really hoping that you know, I, I think if anything's holding him back with this whole entire U, UK thing, it's the fact that it's taken a long time for the Cruiserweight show to take off a little bit, and that was, you know, obviously they had to include Enzo to like, to get ratings up on that. And not only that, it, I'm, I'm sure Vince has a lot to do with it, too, because they could easily kind of work something out between ICW and Progress and a lot of the other British-based, um, you know, kind of partner up a little bit. And that's the difference and kind of something I'm going to throw to you, Chris, between I think how Vince sees everyone else. He doesn't have a problem with wrestlers sometimes. Like, you know, Austin Aries actually was recently on Chris Jericho. 
like, if you have to leave, you have to leave. I understand that. But he's looking at just WWE. Everything else is not even, he's not even aware of it. And Vince is kind of a dick and obviously has an ego, and there's probably issues like that. But when it comes to Triple H, he seems to have a sense of, like, he would have much more want, at least, to try to work things out with other organizations and kind of, like, you know, not, not necessarily Ring of Honor or New Japan uh, or Impact, but, like, you know, something like an ICW and work something out with them. Um, do you think it was cool seeing Triple H make that appearance, Chris? And do you think that might reflect on his ownership in the future compared to how Vince does it with indie promotions? In some senses I do, but also back in, I think it was July, either after or during that UK tournament, um, they had signed a contract negotiation between ICW to kind of do like uh, some talent swapping, like they used to do with ECW, getting ICW guys to come into WWE. Um, specifically, I guess for Tyler Bates and Pete Dunne. So it made sense. Triple H showed up. It's good for Pete Dunne. It got a lot of internet buzz, and his appearance on Raw was kind of inevitable. I think people were looking out for it. So I don't know if it was Triple H like helping him get a boost before he shows up to get a pop on the ratings or what, but it was cool to see. And it's cool that they're doing stuff like that because I would love to see them do, uh, it's, I mean, it, it may or may not ever happen, but if they could work something out with, uh, you know, New Japan or uh, even some of the uh, Mexican promotions, uh, there's some cool stuff that they could do. They could do a full Lucha tournament if they wanted to, especially now that Lucha Underground seems like it's going to be thrown by the wayside. Like, there's some really cool stuff that they could do. And seeing this kind of work out in the way it has is, is a good thing. Um, and I do think it reflects a little bit of Triple H wanting to incorporate some of these different styles. And probably looking at examples like ECW and uh, WCW from some point of being like, hey, if we do something different, people might tune in. What I am not stoked on is the fact that they seem to be putting Pete Dunne as a cruiserweight. I, I feel like that he surpasses all the talent on the, cruiser, the cruiserweight division. Um, he's like, to me, he's like a, kind of a modern-day Chris Benoit uh, with the way he wrestles in ring and, and some of his facial expressions and just how vicious he looks like when he does the uh, finger break. And I, I just want to see him wrestle like on Raw or on SmackDown. You know, like, I, him being on 205 Live, like, he's going to destroy Enzo, and then there's going to be nothing for him to do until they bring Tyler Bates over. I mean, I guess he can hold both belts, and that'll give him something to do, but, like, uh, I don't know. It's a little weird. And I think that they should have put him against some other people first before they put him directly against him. He went right against Enzo, if I'm not mistaken, right? That was his first match. Yep, on the big uh, show, yep, it was. Uh, how about this yeah, rumor, though, Chris, uh, real quickly, that's going around. Uh, was, there might be a uh, Survivor Series-style match, at least between the Cruiserweights and the U.K. fighters. Would you want to see that on the pre-show? Yeah, dude, I think it'd be really cool. You, know, you get um, Kalisto involved, uh, Enzo, Cedric. Cedric uh, Alex, yep. Probably, uh, and what is his name, former Cruiserweight, uh, Brian Kendrick. Maybe one other guy. Uh, yeah, Rick, Rich Swan. Get those guys, your yep. top guys, and then put them against like you know some UK UK dudes. That'd be really cool. I'd be into that. Like as a pre-show match or even an opening match. I think that'd be really cool. It gives you a way to show off 
hey, these guys are going to be in 205. Because most of those guys are at the 205 weight limit. I, th- I think Pete Dunn is booked direct, like right at 205, if I remember right from last time I wicked it. But um, to me, he looks bigger than 205, so good luck selling that one. But. <laughs> no, I agree. And, and trust I think me, I like Pete Dunn too. I just want the Pete Dunn-Tyler Bates rematch, which might have been the best WWE match this year. Could be. Thinking back, I think that's that's up there as far as, like, their best match this year, for me at least. Um, So I'm more looking forward to, like, hey, like, have these two go out at a WrestleMania. Give them the big stage. Like, if you want to show them off, show them off that way. Like, build this thing up however you have to build build it up. And they have one hell of a match together, and, and uh, like have the commentary be like what they had at NXT because I think I think Nigel being on commentary with Jr. was kind of cool. Um, like I feel like Nigel should be involved in the commentary for the UK guys. I feel like he does a great job. Nigel McGuinness, a badass commentator and also a badass wrestler back in the day. Well, not back in the day, two thousands. But check him out on Ring of Honor if you haven't checked out how badass Nigel was. He went uh, against a very young uh, Brian Danielson. Uh, you might know him as Daniel Bryan. Crazy shit. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, I, I really do like Pete Dunne too, man. And, and seeing him on the show, it's like I, I completely agree with you. Him and Tyler Bate. Tyler Bate bitched out to freaking Enzo on 205 Live. It was pretty bad. It really aggravated the shit out of me. I mean, I get it, but still, it's like they have those two guys have so much talent. And I believe, and I agree with you with uh, Bate kind of reminding me of Chris Benoit. Definitely a little bit of Fit Finley in there as well. He's a great technical wrestler and just aggressive as hell. I guess that's what it really comes down to. But uh, let's move on. Uh, the other big sighting, if you will, is so uh, Kenny Omega beat Beretta on their match to retain the U.S. championship in New Japan. And uh, after the match, he basically did a promo saying that no one else could beat him, you know, gloating the fact that there's no one left for him, you know, to fight, if you will. And it was going to end there, and then all of a sudden, the lights go out, and we get a countdown. And for all of us sweaty wrestling marks, like me and Chris, we've been speculating that this online war between Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega had to be bullshit. Uh, reason being is because they're friends. Uh, you know, they respect the shit out of each other. Kenny considers Chris Jericho one of his influences. Uh, they're from the same town in Canada, and Chris Jericho considers Kenny Omega to be one of the greatest wrestlers of this day and age. So we knew the beef was BS. And we kind of assumed that Chris Jericho was still in contract with WWE at the time, so it might be for Chris Jericho's cruise and. Next, either in September or October, he's doing a cruise. He's having the guys from Ring of Honor come on. Uh, originally, he actually asked Triple H for NXT, and that fell through. So he said, screw it, and <laughs> got the guys from Ring of Honor. Um, apparently, Vince also, you know, kind of going into this, uh, some recent discoveries that Vince didn't have a problem with him leaving, is what people are saying now. And Vince um, awkwardly wished him a happy birthday today. Chris Jericho it's actually 47, I believe, today. So happy birthday, Y2J. You're a badass. Either way, going back to it, the countdown happens. You hear Fozzie playing uh, the hit Judas badass metal song, I will say. I like it. Um, And Chris Jericho appears and says, you know, basically a bunch of stuff saying that, you know, everyone has said that they were the best. 
you know, you, you have Shawn Michaels, you have, you have Bret Hart, you have uh, CM Punk, you have Edge, and now they're all gone, and he's still here. And challenge Kenny Omega for wrestling match at Wrestle Kingdom. Now, I'll point out both things, Chris, and you can answer them however you'd like. This is awesome that we're going to get this dream match. Um, I don't think it's for the belt. Uh, I think it's just Jericho versus Kenny at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a great match. And I, I think this might be a one-off for Chris Jericho. And that's, 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 that's the first part. The second part, though, kind of sucks for Kenny that he's not getting a title shot. Um, you know, and it seems like that that will be extended once again. Uh, do you think, hindsight, that would you rather have seen this or would you have rather seen Kenny get pushed over NATO to be able to actually beat Okada at Wrestle Kingdom to get the title this year? Or are you happy to see him go against Chris Jericho, who apparently got inspired by uh, Mayweather and, um, whatchamacallit, uh, McGregor, to do this whole entire thing? I actually love it, because originally, when we, the way they booked the Okada versus Omega, uh, with Omega basically getting time limit draws the the last two matches, um, to me, they're building up Okada not being able to beat Omega. Um, and NATO may just be the in-between champion. Uh, so it gives you something really cool to do with Omega. You have a chance to put the title belt on NATO, who is, to me, is New Japan's most popular star. Um, from a Japanese standpoint, and from even in the States, like, NATO is a huge name. He's not as big as Omega, obviously, um, here. But in Japan, NATO is massive right now. Um, so to put the belt on NATO and then get your Kenny Omega versus NATO match for the title, probably two matches out of that, and then Omega winning the title, and then Okada coming back as the challenger, to me, has always been really intriguing. And we've talked about that in several of our podcasts, and I feel like that's where they're going to go with that. Um, So to me, it works out perfectly. Japan books really far in the future. Um, They're not worried if, if if they want Okada to have the belt for 300-something days, they're not worried about that because they know Okada can handle the workload. They know NATO can handle the workload. Uh, they know Tanahashi can handle the workload. They're way better about making that championship important, which adds so much to these five-star matches. And um, to me, I have absolutely no problem with it. And who the hell doesn't, like from an American standpoint, like an American fan, who doesn't want to see Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho? And to me, that just draws in an audience that's going to be bigger. Like, to me, will be bigger, like, as far as abroad than Omega versus Okada again. Um, so I'm, I'm stoked on it. I think it's really cool. And then I also really think it's going to be awesome if Theta win the title. I think that'll be a really cool feud. Uh, he'll have, you know, a couple more matches with Okada leading up to probably him going against Omega and Omega finally getting the title. I feel like if they don't promise him the title at this point, um, he might be looking at other options to get out. Like, I know he's making a ton of money, but if you think about Omega, his presence in general, what he brings to the table, he can go to WWE and make a ton of money and be a huge star uh, against people like Samoa Joe and Jim uh, Finn Balor and AJ Styles. There's so much they could do with him. And he's a good promo. And play a lot safer, too. So... I feel like the title is coming to Omega, and I feel like it's setting up for a classic reversal of roles where Omega has a champion advantage, so to speak, over Okada. 
and Okada hasn't been able to beat him. And I feel like that's how they're going to play it. And uh, to me, that's fucking awesome, because that's how I would book it. And, you know, New Japan never lets me down on their booking. So I'm going to just go ahead and get hyped about this Wrestle Kingdom match with Chris Jericho. I think it's going to be fucking phenomenal. If Chris Jericho has one match left in him, and this is his going out match, I'm thinking this is going to be a 30-minute banger, and it's going to be one hell of a match. Kenny Omega is going to sell his ass off and make this fucking thing look good. So I'm stoked on it. Um, but I can see other people being like, I want Kenny Omega to be changed, especially if you're a big Kenny Omega. But it's good. Yeah, that's understandable. I don't want that. <laughs> He's going to get it. Gato has got, you're saying Gato has this mapped out in advance. He knows what's going on. He's just trying to keep the belt on his buddy. For a little bit longer, I'm just kidding. Okada is probably the greatest professional wrestler out there right now. So, I just, yeah, you know, us Kenny fans, we would like to see him advance. And, I mean, I think the biggest thing, Chris, and it's, it's not so much selfish. It's like if he's going to go to WWE, I, I want him to have more time than, you know, him being in his late 30s, early 40s, like a lot of these guys. It's, it sucks. Even though Bobby Roode's doing great, AJ Styles and stuff like that, they're all coming in at the end of their career, uh, you know, or at least the hump that gets them to the end of their career, if you will. So with Kenny, it's like, and not only, dude, he gets, I mean, we're going to talk about it in in a minute, but my God, he took some bumps. They give a lot of stuff on the neck, man. That scares the shit out of me. Those guys, I know that they, they maintain their neck muscles, but it's crazy. They must have like steel implants or something. But yeah, I I do agree. Uh, Speaking of which, I kind of contradicted myself. Uh, because I was talking about AJ Styles, and uh, last big topic that we have, AJ Styles crowned new WWE champion after being Jinder Mahal on SmackDown. Now, Dave Metzler reported this. Many people have reported this. This was not supposed to happen. Jinder was supposed to go against Brock Lesnar. They wanted to keep it on him. Uh, There's speculation that Jinder still hurt and that, this was a way to get the title off him and then they put the title back on him in India, um, which probably is going to be happen. Unfortunately, even though I love AJ and this means he's had two, you know, WWE uh, heavyweight championship runs, if you will, this one's going to be probably short. It's going to be a transitional champion, but still because of this, he's got another notch and we're going to get a match between him and Brock Lesnar and I'm telling you, a match between those two is going to be a hell of a lot more interesting than fucking Brock Lesnar and Jinder Mahal. So it was, a, it was probably Jinder's best performance, a lot of that based because of AJ. It was a good match. AJ won. The crowd went freaking crazy. The first time um, a title change, I believe, I, I think they said, they might have said just period, not even pay-per-views included, in uh, a non-U.S. You know, arena. So that's pretty awesome, or a non-America arena or something like that. That's what it was. Uh, but, Chris, how did you feel about the title change, and where do you see us going between Jinder Mahal? <laughs> to, to no one's surprise, or at least not to my surprise, this was Jinder Mahal's best match that I've seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> Same. I, actually, I, <laughs> I mean, that just says a lot about AJ Styles, but this was actually, actually a pretty good match. Um, I don't necessarily know that it's because Jinder's hurt. I think that they realize that AJ Styles is a huge fucking draw, and that's a better match. And they can always put the title back on Jinder later on. So to me, it's just it just made sense. Like, Jinder losing the title is not that big of a deal. He had a pretty long run. They can give him another run. But at the end of the day, 
when you hear the name Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles, it means a hell of a lot more than Jinder Mahal versus Brock Lesnar, which everyone was making fun of for the past two weeks, including us. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, the match was good. The reaction from the crowd's good. We all love AJ Styles. The man does stuff in the ring. I mean, it's 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 just ridiculous. It's It's magic. I mean, the slightest little touches of him selling um, and just his aerial ability and, and all the stuff that he does, especially at his age. I mean, 39 is not that old. I think, or he might be 40. I think he, did, he turned 40. It's not that old, but in wrestling age, that's kind of old, especially to be doing stuff, peak condition, no problem. You know, just, just everything that he does. Uh, the 450 splash off the ropes. I mean, he's just a maniac. He really is the modern, uh, you know, best in-ring performer of today, um, I would say, or at least one of them. Um, maybe of his generation, the younger guys, uh, like Kenny Omega and Okada might be a part of the, the next, if you will, just kind of Seth Rollins. Like, because he's been doing it, he's been in the game for a while, but he's definitely in the conversation for one of the best of all time. Let's put it that way. I, I uh, would he's say he's a, he's, generation. He's, a, he's a bigger name than both of them. So I would easily yeah, say, I, if you're going to say, um, not that Kenny Omega and Okada aren't big names, just AJ Styles has been a big name even back in his TNA Ring of Honor days. Like, you know, his name's Yeah, different. and not only that, but like, was, how much praise does Okada and especially Kenny Omega give to AJ Styles? You know what I'm saying? Same thing with John Cena. Like, he's so respected by all his peers because he performs his fucking ass off. And he's deserved everything that he's gotten, and he's basically. The Shawn Michaels, he is the Shawn Michaels of, of this era, but he's a nicer guy than Shawn Michaels. And I love Shawn Michaels, but that's the truth. You know what I'm saying? Well, he, I mean, he plays he's, ball. He's from, Gaines, he, he's from Gainesville, so he's definitely in my top five favorite wrestlers. So. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, now that we're done with our topics, let's go over some shows. Uh, the first show is actually not a wrestling show. Well, Dane, why are you talking about it? Well, it was because it was a 30 for 30 for Ric Flair. All right, Chris, I just want to ask you straight out, and I'll bounce off you because I have my opinions on it too. Um, how did you like the 30 for 30 Ric Flair um, documentary? It was enjoyable, man. All of those 30 for 30 documentaries are done so well. Um, my favorite one being the guy, the poor guy that caught the baseball <laughs> in fucking Boston. Or I guess no, it was Chicago <laughs> at the White Sox game. And, like, basically, yeah. like, there's some really good 30 for 30s. This one was not my favorite 30 for 30 um, because I do like other sports. Uh, I will say that there's some inaccuracies that bothered me. Uh, calling WC, like, NWA, WCW slash NWA was a little bit annoying. Um, the fact that they didn't really talk on territorial wrestling that much, more as it's just, all. It's just NWA. Um, but for the most part, I thought the interviews that they did were really cool, like getting Sting there, Triple H there. Um, the footage they showed was really great. They showed some really old Ric Flair footage. Like, before you had bleached blonde hair and stuff, I thought the music was really well done, how they incorpor- uh, incorporated uh, that entire classical song throughout. The animation stuff was kind of cool. Uh, what I will say is if you're a big wrestling – or, well, no – I guess if you're a big wrestling fan, you probably know all of these Ric Flair stories. You've heard them, seen them at some yep. point. Kind of know the ups and downs of Ric Flair. 
this to me was done really well as a 30 for 30 documentary for sports fans. Not just wrestling fans, but like all sports fans. So if you're going into it being like, I want to see like a shoot Ric Flair documentary, like not a WWE documentary, but like a real in-depth podcast type deal with Ric Flair. You're not going to get that out of it. But if you're like a casual wrestling fan or just a fan of other sports, I think it was really well done. Um, it's a little weird because he had some hospitalization in the middle and they basically had to do a commercial interruption to talk about that. And they kind of skimmed over it uh, straight back into like, well, Ric Flair's Ric Flair, right? Um, so that was a little odd, but like overall, you know, I really enjoyed it. I enjoy the 30 for 30 documentaries. I haven't seen a bad. Um, they're always worth it. It'll be interesting. I, it would be more interesting to me to see them do someone like a, like a tragic family, like the Bon Erics, even though I think, the WWE documentary of the Von Erics is really, really good. 30 for 30 did the Von Erics or WWE? Yeah, it, it, it was a shorter uh, 30 for 30, but I'll, I'll send you the info. I, I watched it. It was actually pretty damn sad. They didn't go into a lot of their good stuff. It just basically went the tragedy, and that was it. It was like a 40-minute documentary. Real, real small and minute compared to their normal stuff. Yeah, because usually they're the full 90 minutes, and, they, and they're always entertaining. Even the OJ stuff that they did um, where they're talking about the sports world around OJ Simpson at the time was kind of cool. And I, I, like I said, the documentary is a really fun watch. If, you, if you've read Ric Flair's book, if you listen to Ric Flair on podcasts all the time, you're not going to get anything out of it. You're not going to get a cool story you haven't heard or – other than, like, Sting talking about Ric Flair always pulling his pants down, you're probably not going to get anything super crazy out of, the like, the the the, the uh, documentary. But it's worth a watch. I mean, it was fun. I didn't hate the time I spent with it. And, like I said, I thought the animation was really good. And I liked the way they did the music. And I thought a lot of the interviews were um, pretty heartfelt and, and, and pretty good. I think some of the people that they chose to do interviews with, uh, they could have spent a little more time with. Uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, for instance, who trained with Ric Flair uh, in AWA under Vern Gagne, being Ric Flair's probably nemesis as far as in-ring work. I mean, other than Dusty Rhodes, like the Dragon Steamboat was Ric Flair's nemesis for so long that I would have loved to have heard more from him. But uh, at some point, it's an hour-and-a-half documentary. you got to get a lot of shit in. So overall, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> I think that was the biggest thing about it uh, to me. This was basically, I mean, he he told very much the same stories in the Stone Cold interview he did on on Austin's podcast, uh, I think two years ago. So most of the stories that he goes in depth with, and uh, they gloss over it, like you said. The one thing that sucks, and my brother was explaining to me this because he's uh, he went to school for um, what you call it, uh, sports broadcasting and stuff. And uh, Bill Simmons is one of the executive producers and the, one of the, the main creator of Thirty for Thirty the documentary series. And even though I only like combat sports, um, I'm, I'm obsessed with these 30 for 30s. I love them. I think that they're very in-depth, uh, just blueprints a lot of times for movies. My favorite one being You Don't Know Bo, the story of Bo Jackson. My God, is that such an amazing um, uh, story. It needs to be told in a movie, and they, they planted it out and, and just sketched it out so well for that. But... Apparently, when Bill Simmons um, stepped down and they started letting other guys do it, uh, the, the amount of time was shortened, and a lot of 
we're, we're never going to basically see the full 30 for 30 of this. Uh, it had to be edited to be under, you know, an hour, 30 minutes because of commercials. It was an hour and 18 total. Um, and I think Dave Metzler said it the best. It's hard to tell the story of Ric Flair in an hour and 18 minutes. And I thought they focused – I thought they focused. I, I didn't mind the stuff with his son that had to come up, and it was really emotional, and it got you. Um, I don't think they were trying to, like, you know, broadcast that or make it any more than what it was, an, an unfortunate situation. And Ricky even said the best, obviously. You know, he wishes that he was more of a parent and less of a best friend in that situation. It was really, really tragic. But my biggest thing is the 80s, maybe the wrestling fan, I mean, I was a kid, but maybe the wrestling fan fantasized about Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, and that was a big deal uh, with the WrestleMania not working out the way it did, and how Vince just stupidly booked it. And if it was if it was Hulk not wanting to do it, and Rick already knew that he was going to drop the title to Hulk Hogan, so I don't know why that would be the case. Uh, it was nice seeing Hulk Hogan just clear the air and be like, "There's no comparison between the two of us. Ric Flair is on a different level." Very humble of him. I don't know if he would have said that in the '80s, but you know, very humble of Hulk Hogan. They spent too much time on that. They didn't go into the territories. They kind of just, like, breezed over the fact that when Rick was in a territory, he would elevate that territory and make the baby face look amazing and get out and get the numbers up and do that constantly. And he did that for years. It was more obsessed with his rock star lifestyle than his athlete lifestyle, I think. And for that factor, I kind of had some problems with it, uh, but I still thought it was – Fun. It kept my attention. I was exhausted. I watched the whole entire thing, enjoyed it. I just wish that we had a little bit more, and I wish that they didn't, you know, harness in on stuff. I understand it's got to be, like, edgy, but I think that the territory stuff would have been a hell of a lot more intriguing and kind of show wrestling for how amazing it was back in the 80s. Yes, and I will say that my wife watched this, and she – like, she knows who Ric Flair is. She knows a lot of these stories. She's heard a lot of these stories. Um, but she, I think she enjoyed it more than I did because it was a more packaged version of the Ric Flair that she's had to deal with me watching for <laughs> years, you know? So it kind of, it to me, it was geared towards, uh, you know, other fans, not necessarily wrestling fans. I think they assumed that Absolutely. the wrestling fans are going to tune in for Ric Flair know who Ric Flair is. They've listened to podcasts. They've seen the stories. They, they've probably watched Ric Flair documentaries on WWE. They know a lot of this stuff. What they try to do was give you a presentation for any sports fan, just anyone in general. Like, Ric Flair is such a cool character, uh, both with the way he lived his life, and I think that's why they harped on it so much, um, and, uh, and, and even in you know how much dedication he had to his craft. And I think a lot of, like, other sports have realized that. It, even when they started talking about, like, hip-hop and stuff and how, like, Ric Flair kind of influenced Snoop Dogg and, and some of that stuff, I, I thought that was aimed at a crowd that's not necessarily wrestling players. And for me, if you're ESPN, that's kind of what you have to do. So at the end of the day, you yep. know, there's a lot of other cool stuff that you can do with a Ric Flair documentary. Um, but with as many podcasts out there, the fact that Ric Flair's written a book, uh, like a tell-all, um, to me, he's not the go-to wrestler that I would want to technically see do that. Like, I would rather, like, like to me, Vader would be a really cool one. Or, or Bruiser Brody, the fact that he died so tragically, I think would be a really cool one. Or Terry Funk and how long he's been wrestling. 
Literally. And the fact, yeah, like Terry, Terry Funk in general would be really cool. I think Terry, I put both Terry and Dory, probably the Funk family in general, if you could really do a good 90 minutes on just the Funks in general is crazy. The fact that they built that territory from nothing. They both wrestled under their dad. They both were NWA champions for long periods of time. Terry going to ECW, then WW, or WCW, then back to ECW, then the WWF. Like, the Japan stuff he did with Mick Foley. I think there's so much more, like, if you're just trying to attract wrestling fans to watch ESPN and pop the rating, that's where you would go. But if you're trying to make something that other sports fans will watch that also you might get some wrestling fans from, they did this documentary right. So I I have yeah. I don't really have any complaints about it. Nothing that they said was historically inaccurate. Um, and they just glossed over a lot of stuff. Like, they didn't explain what the NWA was. And it's, you know, I guess they just assume that, like, hey, if you're a wrestling fan and you're watching this, you probably know who Ric Flair is. Because, like, what... You and know, if like, you don't, you don't really they're, need to. Yeah, and, and that's what they did. And they went with it. And I thought it was fine. I just... you Dave, Dave Meltzer actually said that you can't tell Ric Flair's story in an hour and 30 minutes. I think that's, like, fucking right on the nose of Ric Flair. It's, um, it's too hard. It really is. And, and I mean, all right. So let's 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 end this conversation um, because you started with this concept. Uh, you know, Terry Funk would be great. Bruiser Brody would be great. Very tragic, but thirty for thirty wise, I'm gonna give it to you after I, I pick mine. I think my number one, honestly, I know this might sound crazy, is actually Vince McMahon. Um, maybe if they do the biopic, I won't need it as much, and we can go on to another wrestler like, uh, say. Try to think like I don't know. Mick Foley and Dusty Rhodes seem like both like they'd be great uh, just documentaries. But with Vince, it's just how he was raised and how he was poor with his father, and then his father, you know, built the WWF for how it is with Bruno San Martino, and he watched everything, he studied, and then you know, in the '80s when he took over, he started just annihilating the competition and using the money that his dad had basically built to get him to where he did, and then tripled it. And just, I mean, in many ways, it, it, it's a weird comparison, but just bear with me. He's kind of like a Walt Disney of this type of, of, of this generation, of how much of an empire he built from something that was, I mean, not maybe in his dad's day, maybe at the beginning, but like a carnival act, you know, originally. And made it this monster arena selling out, and there, he doesn't have competition now. Like, you know, he's not doing that great, but he's still doing ridiculous. I mean, it's it, it just, I feel like it would be a very interesting documentary or biopic or 30 for 30, but Mick Foley, I think this is my second favorite one. I think that would be a great uh, 30 for 30. I love the Terry Funk idea, too. Do you have any other ones to throw out there before we move on? I would think Andre the, the Giant's uh, another one. Chris, I can't hear you. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. Hold on one second, guys. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties. I don't know if my headphones are messing up. Hey, Chris, can you hear me? No. All right, buddy, I'm going to improvise because I'm pretty sure I just tried it without my headphones. For some reason, you cut out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exit you out, call right back, and I'll let you back into the conversation. I'll just kind of improvise in the time period. Sorry about that, guys. We normally have all of our ducks in a row, just 
technical difficulties can happen, um, obviously. So hope you guys are enjoying the conversation. Uh, the thing with the 30 for 30 for me with Ric Flair is that they're very powerful, and it definitely had that. So you have to have someone, if you're going to do another one, uh, that, that can bring out that type of level. Uh, that's why Mick Foley comes to mind, just because of his whole story. just seems crazy to me. All right, let's see if Chris is back. Hey, buddy. Hey, guys. Sorry, I got, I bu- I got bumped for no reason, apparently. Uh, I just lost cell phone connection. But, um, yeah, so Vince McMahon oh, okay. was one of the ones that I had, I had listed out uh, for the same reasons you listed out. And I would say, like, think about sports in general. Think about the person who made the NFL and what the NFL is. Vince McMahon is that guy. He's that guy for wrestling. Dana White would be another interesting character to do a 30 for 30 off. Think about what, the, you know, fighting was until he stepped in. And I feel like Vince McMahon's in the same category. You know, like, when you start talking about someone who's building an empire, like, think about the people who built the NHL. Like, the NHL originally was 16, 32 now. Like, all of those kind of things are really interesting. And there was always one mind behind it. Um, and there's a lot of people underneath them that helped forge it into what it was. But Vince McMahon, to me, in general, is just not only for his wrestling persona and the way that he was able to actually spin to the ring and save his company. Him and Stone Cold Steve Austin single-handedly save his company. Uh, just adds another element to it. Like, how many, other, how many other companies can say that? Like, I was able to, like, as far as sports go in general, I was able to get in there, make a massive impact, create this character, and single-handedly beat Ted Turner. Like, to me, his story is just impeccable from him buying half the company or paying his, like, guaranteeing that he was going to pay his father for the company. And if he didn't, he was going to lose all of his money plus all of his stock in the company, and it was going to go to Gorilla Monsoon. Like, that kind of stuff is very, very cool, and it's not talked about enough. And uh, Vincent Mann will always be controversial, and I feel like there's ways that you could talk about his ups and his downs. The only problem with them doing a 30 for 30 is, like, how much is Vince going to let out there? Um, to me, the funks are, are – the, like, the funks are perfect. Like, the Von Erics, I, I need to watch this one because I, I don't think I've ever seen it, unfortunately. I'm going to check it I out. I've definitely Facebook. seen I've definitely seen the uh, – I've definitely seen the, uh, the, um, the, the WWE one, which is actually really, really well done. Um. But another one would be really cool would be like Giant Baba or, you know, the Great Muda or uh, All Japan in general would be really Antonio cool. Antonio Inoki? Like, yeah, like, you know, though, like Antonio Inoki and Giant Baba, like, in the same one would be cool. Um, because a lot Absolutely. of that stuff is, you know, translated. But I think that would be a really cool one. Like, talk about Japanese wrestling. Um, and then also talk about how wrestling was one of the most watched things on ESPN. Like, why did they not mention that? Like, WWE used to pull higher ratings on ESPN than, like, a lot of their sports shows did in the 80s. So, that's awesome. (laughs) I think there's a lot of really cool things that they could do. But, you know, for every wrestling yarn we can spin, so to speak, there's a sports yarn that you can spin. So, it's going to take a while, but there's still a lot of really cool stuff they can do. Um. And I think the Ric Flair one is a cool step. I, I would say Dusty Rhodes would be the next one for me because I feel like that with Dustin and uh, Cody and all the people that, 
that Dusty Rhodes has trained and all the people that look up to him and the fact that he was Ric Flair's, not just Ric Flair, the entire Four Horsemen nemesis for so long and just such a big personality. And just when, when Dusty talks, man, my heart kind of smiles. Like, he just makes me happy. Um, he's the original Stone Cold Steve Austin, essentially. Dusty Rhodes is it's fucking no incredible. And a lot of people overlook his actual wrestling ability and what he was able to do in a night-in-night basis. Him and Ric Flair, their ring psychology, the fact they were able to work 60 match, like 60 minute matches together, like that's a lot of the shit oh Ric Flair tries That's and a lot of the stuff when we talk about Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels as greatest of all time, it's like, well, what if, like, what about fucking Dusty Rhodes? Like, just because you you like Shawn Michaels is an athletic freak. Like, he was great in the ring. He's a very good technical wrestler, and he knew how to tell a fucking story. But it's completely different because the errors were completely different. The, fact, the things that fans wanted to see were completely different. Like, Shawn Michaels wasn't getting color five nights a week in wrestling 60-minute matches. The WWF was a completely different yeah. thing than territory wrestling. I, I agree with you, Chris, but I think it's very easy to say. Most wrestlers usually go and pick between those two as who you consider the greatest wrestler of all time. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't think that's an inaccurate, you know, concept. I, that's, that's not me because I'm, I'm, I'm being egotistical because I've made the post. Like, that just, like, that is a question that's usually asked. And the funny thing is they both consider the exact opposite. Like, they consider each other to be the best. Uh, so, it's like, you know, when we were talking about it, Sean has, like you just said, I mean, Rick is an athletic freak, too, but the stuff that Sean can do is just, it's, it's like how AJ can do it. But Rick, just his endurance and his gimmick, it's, it's second to none. So it's like, I feel like those guys have to be in a lot of wrestlers' top five. Uh, or at least they have to have respect for both of them. People that say that they don't, I just don't even, I, I don't know. That, that, that's amazing to me. I always felt the, felt the more, uh, the, the, I, I get the Sean, the Sean, like Sean has some of the greatest matches of all time. So it's easy to throw him in that category. But when you think of Sean's body of work overall with all of his matches versus like Rick, like all of Ric Flair's matches, it's, it's just up in the air. Like it's just choose whatever because the errors were so different and, the way wrestling worked was so different that those conversations always like uh, get me in a weird spot where I'm like, well, yeah, like I fucking love Shawn Michaels. Like Shawn Michaels, as me, me as a kid used to like do the Shawn Michaels dance, the sexy boy, like on on the little CDs that you would buy. <laughs> like, me too. My dad hated it. <laughs> so I'm a huge Shawn Michaels mark. But I don't uh, like Bret Hart for many, about... many different reasons. You start talking about greatest of all time, then I start dialing it back on Shawn Michaels because of his personality and the fact that he's big match Shawn. Like, to me, Shawn Michaels is Mr. WrestleMania. Like, all of his matches are big matches. It's not... And when he was in a tag team, I think I thought he had great matches, but, like, most of his money are all matches. It okay. Was, it's, is it know, better to good. equate him as, as, as maybe the top in-ring performer, just, just, just that by itself? than the greatest of all time. I would say so until we see where Kenny Omega's career lands. If we're just talking about, like, the straight fucking epic matches. I, I think Terry Funk's up there. I think Terry Funk has had two five-star matches. 
uh, one with Jerry Lawler in the empty arena and one with Ric Flair. And then once again, there's the name, Ric Flair. Ric Flair yeah. and Dusty in a cage, fucking phenomenal. And that was before Him like, and Ricky Steamboat, really the three for... fucking matches that Ric <laughs> Rick, Rick Flair and Ricky Steamboat had is absolutely ridiculous. It's it's amazing. Steamboat's another one, so it's savage. I mean, all these guys are yeah. going to be up there. It's just, it's just but, what what what's, what we're trying to say is, is the guys that we're talking about. There is a difference between those guys and your bigger guys that just have like this bravado about them and a good gimmick, like a Hulk Hogan. I love Hulk Hogan. I'll always love Hulk Hogan. But even he knows that, even though I mean it was it was the fact that Hulk Hogan actually could wrestle pretty decently. If you watch his AWA stuff or any of the stuff that you can find of him in in Japan, he'll actually wrestle. But when he was in charge of himself. He did what he wanted. So when you go to like a him or a Goldberg or an Ultimate Warrior even, it's just a different – I mean, they just don't even compete. Uh, they they might be more over for their time period, but the guys that we're listing, the Ricky Steamboats, the Shawn Michaels, the Chris Jerichos, the, the Kenny Omegas, like the AJ Styles, all those guys, Randy Savage, uh, Ric Flair, they're just – Ric Flair especially – because not only was he one, he one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time, if not the, you know, and doing it in his era just as hard and, and, you know, for the length of time, but he's one of the greatest gimmicks and one of the greatest guys on the mic of all time. So I made a comparison that Ric Flair's Muhammad Ali while Shawn Michaels is Roy Jones Jr. And I think that would mean that Austin's uh, Tyson, but whatever. That doesn't really equate for anything else. <laughs> I like I like that comparison. I think it's I I'm just I just would say like you're gonna like whoever you like for like I personally like probably like Shawn Michaels more than Ric Flair, but I respect the fuck out of Ric Flair and I think Ric Flair is probably the greatest wrestler of all time. Because he was able Overall. to do it for so long and make people look so fucking good when he did it. Sean could make someone like The Undertaker look good. Could make someone like... But he had to respect them. And it was later in his career. He could make Bret Hart look good, even though he fucking hated it. Fucking... Ric Flair made Disco Inferno look good. Like, Ric Flair would have a goddamn match with anyone and do whatever he could to make that person look good. Even if he was going over, he was going to make that person look good. Yes, Ric Flair had a lot of the same matches, but Ric Flair wrestled four nights a week. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm just saying the errors were different, and neither of them are my favorite wrestler of all. So it's one of those weird things where it's all preference. But, uh, you know, just keep it in mind, man. Like, don't think that Ric Flair doesn't have wrestling skills because he wasn't doing Shawn Michael topes. Like the time period well, were different. Like that's like really that's like someone. That's like someone looking at. I mean, all right. So you have your wrestlers, and all right. I'm not trying to say they're all on the same level, but you have different types. And I think you can agree with me, Chris. Is that all right? You have your wrestlers, like a Ric Flair, like even a Bret Hart. Uh, you know, like an Okada. Like um, I'm trying to think of like another one that's that's a great wrestler, great math skills, doesn't have to do a lot of crazy weird shit. Then you have a guy that compliments them well a lot of times, like a Ricky Steamboat or Shawn Michaels or a Kenny Omega, that is someone that's, you know, much more all over the place and explosive, but you can't say one or the other is a better wrestler. Um, 
you know, it's it just two different styles. And sometimes the guys that sell their asses off and can make the other person look amazing and also just be so precise about where they are, that can be even more impressive, if you will, than, say, the wrestler that's, like, jumping off the ropes and stuff like that. It even goes, like, to MMA, like the technical wrestler versus the striker. One's a little more flashy, but the other one is pretty damn impressive by itself. Is that a good, like, analogy way of looking at it, Chris? Yeah, I mean, completely. I would just say that, you know, and, and also just times have changed. Like, there's NWA rules where you couldn't even jump off the top ropes during certain periods of time. So yeah. Think about that. Like, think about how limited you are. Like, the fact, like, the Rock and Roll Express and, and the Midnight Express, these guys were able to do what they were able to do and get the crowd so fucking into it. And think about how much a worker has to do now. Like, you're just, like, someone like Dolph Ziggler. Think about what he has to do on a nightly basis to get the same reaction that Ric Flair could get from bouncing off a turnbuckle, stepping out three feet and falling on his face and just selling. And yeah. just think about that. I mean, like, that's how the that's evolution comes to, like, someone like... <laughs> no, it's true, but, like, that's how the evolution comes to, like, you know, a Ricochet or Will Osprey because it's gotten to the point where people are not pleased uh, that you need to, like, keep on... Upping the ante. I mean, just like you said with the NWA and WWF in the 80s and early 90s. If you, I mean, I think that it's still illegal, but not as bad. But you can get if you did a closed-handed punch, you would get disqualified. Like that's crazy to think about. Like that doesn't happen in other fucking wrestling forms. I mean, I mean, it was an excuse so you they wouldn't have to hit each other as hard as they could. But the fact that stuff like that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's different era. It's different time periods. Just you know, even even um. Like, going back to that comparison of, 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 of others, like, AJ Styles would be the Shawn Michaels or Kenny Omega where, where John Cena would be the other type. You know, these guys are still incredible guys, mostly because a lot, a lot of times they're bigger and they're able to do stuff with their body in such a complex way. It's, it's fascinating. It's uh, wrestling, and it's fun to talk about. But uh, we went a little uh, off subject, but it was actually a really good talk, so I appreciate that. Uh, are you ready to move on, Chris? Yeah, I, I think the I said what I needed to say, so I feel good. <laughs> it was a fun conversation. It really was. I, I liked I liked going off, uh, you know. I mean, we're about to talk about Impact Wrestling, so it's not really – we cut into this a little bit too much. Teehee. Sorry, anyone else that watched Impact. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Corey. apologize. All right, I'm going to get into it. I don't know if you watched any of the highlights, but I'm going to try to go over some of the things that I liked about Impact and then pass it to you, and you can say whatever you want about it. Uh, Bound for Glory, I watched some of it live, some of it the next day. I can't believe that some of the matches that they had laid out, I thought that we were going to have a bunch of great matches, but I was not happy with a lot of them. I thought it was some, some dumb booking decisions, especially with the championship match with Eli Drake and Johnny Impact and Mr. Alberto Patron coming back. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say that the matches I did like, uh, some of the stuff between Drake and Johnny Impact were great. Uh, Johnny Morrison, Johnny Mundo, whatever you want to call him, basically. But uh, they had a good back-and-forth match. Both of those guys are good in-ring performers. I like them, especially Johnny Morrison. He's a monster. I mean, the fact that if he won this, he would have been three different championships in AAA, including their world heavyweight. Uh, he, I mean, I think it's done, but... Uh, he won the Lucha Underground Championship on the last episode, and he would have had this too. Pretty cool in concept. Uh, Eli Drake, who is basically like The Rock Jr., um, 
he actually worked with The Rock a little bit, uh, so that makes a lot of sense. But, uh, yeah, fun match, whatever. Knockout championship. Uh, I thought Sienna should have won. It's no offense to Gail Kim. I get it. But, uh, you know, when you're the uh, vet, you're supposed to put the uh, young talent over. I knew Allie wasn't getting it. I don't even know why the hell she was in the ring, honestly. Um, I really wish that they would have, since since uh, Taya Valkyrie couldn't get into Canada due to all the bullshit with the borders and stuff like that, having problems with their visa, uh, I think they should have put uh, Rosemary in this match just last minute and said, it, it's, it's impact. Like, is the booking really fucking matter that much? Like, maybe it's because I'm a huge Rosemary Mark, but she was the ex-champion. They could have placed her in there, made her have fun with the other girls, and, you know, they had a week to prepare for this, but whatever. Like I said, it's also impact. One of the best matches, OVE versus LAX. A lot of fun. I forgot the wrestler's name. It's Sammy something. But I like him. I, I, he's from Lucha Underground. I, I, he was from Ring of Honor. I, I, Sammy Callahan, maybe? He came out, helped OVE win. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's- yeah, you're right. It's Callahan. He he was in NXT for a while. He's he's got some attitude problems, but it was good to see him. It's fun. And then the uh I like the um Impact X Division Championship match. A lot of cool high spots. Um I like Trevor Lee. I think that he's I think he's fun. Uh a lot of these guys, Matt Sedell, Petey Williams. If they're gonna give it to anyone, it should have been Petey, uh just because of how over he is, but I understand, you know, they're in Canada, so of course he's gonna get that reaction. But the kids on Trevor, not a bad idea. The uh, Six Sides of Steel with Stephen Bonner and Moose for Slash and King Mo, very entertaining. Uh, I wish Moose would have won, but I like that King Mo and, and Stephen Bonner looked like they were actually just improvised fighting in the ring and kind of like adding that element while Lashley and Moose were wrestling, and then they kind of like would switch off. It was it was fun, although the ending just kind of sucked. That's that's the biggest thing with Impact is like a lot of their just executions are just dumb. They don't make any sense. Um, so I really like Moose. The fact that that man's able to climb up and do cross bodies like that, I think he would do so well in WWE. I think he's good on the mic. He's so damn charismatic. Um, him and Rosemary, my two, that I would pull immediately and get them the fuck over to NXT. I like him and Braun Strowman. I keep on thinking about that match and how much fun it would be. But he can move his ass off. He's like Apollo Crews, but like 6'4". Uh, so, I don't know. Monster Ball match, Abyss and Grado was just a silly hardcore match. Didn't really have much structure or story. Uh, they definitely threw in Rosemary at the end of it because she had nothing to do. It was cool seeing, I guess, her in Abyss because they had a you know a faction with uh, Crazy Steve beforehand. Um, and then uh, Team uh, Team Impact and Team AAA. I didn't understand why EC3 was not, like at the beginning of the match, she wouldn't let someone tag him in. Uh, like it didn't really make any sense. It's like they didn't really build it up, I don't think, Enough to, I know that he's been a dick to Eddie Edwards, and they've had, like, a rivalry, but they've been, you know, in the last couple shows, shown these guys working together against the AAA team. So it's kind of just weird. Um, pretty good match. Not bad at all. Um, I liked all the guys involved wrestling-wise. But, yeah, that's my quick interpretation of Bound for Glory. Chris, what do you have to say? I will go – I will say that uh, you like – <laughs> you like Moose way more than I do. There's nothing wrong with that, but uh, I think Moose is good. I, I don't know. You know what it is, Chris? I, I, well, well, the thing is, I think that it, it's um, not that I think he's he's amazing, but WWE standards, I think he could do really well because I think that's like the Vince 
uh, look, if you will, in a superstar? I feel like they're missing a lot of their stars. That's the first thing I want to say. Is them losing Loki really, really hurts them. Uh, <laughs> I would have loved to see Loki in that LAX match. Um, overall, there were some decent matches on the on the card. I liked the uh, the the uh, six way match. I thought it was uh, really fun. It was really weird. They introduced Lucha Libre rules without kind of explaining them in typical Impact style. Um, I thought it was better than I expected it to be. Uh, it was short to me. I thought it could have been a little longer, considering like if you're if you're an old school TNA fan. TNA was built on the back of the X Division. So that, to me, should be always be, like, having an X Division match should always be your a big focus of, I felt like it was a little flipped over. The Tyson Ducks match, I didn't really care for. It was okay. Um, I thought it was a fine, like, TV match. I think it was only, like, it was short. Was it, like, three or four minutes long? Um, El Patron, like, please just get him the fuck off my screen uh, at this point. Like, he's such an asshole that it's hard for me to like him. Abyss and Grado, uh, <laughs> it was, it I like was Grado. weird. I like Grado. He's a comedy character. He reminds me of uh, Santino Morella in a lot of ways, just with, you know, a different... He's got a little bit of a different gimmick, but it's kind of the same thing. He's a comedy spot. Uh, and they've built that storyline for so long, so it was good to see it end here. But it's like, what does it actually mean for Grado? Is he done? with Impact, and, like, where's Grado going to go from here? So I feel kind of bad about that because I think Grado is, on a weekly basis, one of the most entertaining parts of Impact. So that kind of made me a little sad. They they did some spots. I expected more from an Abyss Monsters Ball match, um, but he is older. Uh, it was not say, he's getting old. It was not a great match. Um, EC3, James Storm, and Eddie Edwards versus... Uh, Phantasm, Pagno, and uh, was it was it Texano Jr.? I I thought sure. that was I I thought maybe that was like one of the best matches of the night. Like I watched this pay per view today because I knew we were going to talk about it, and a lot of it I was just kind of like, man, like mm, I hope okay. you didn't feel obligated. <laughs> a little bit. Um, LAX is great. Like Conan is like the perfect manager for what they're doing with LAX. So I enjoyed that, um, even though OBE got the win. But I, I kind of like the uh, – I, I just like Conan with LAX as a manager. I think he's a cool manager. It would be cool to see him brought in for someone uh, in WWE as a manager uh, at some point. But I doubt that will ever happen. But he, he plays that part really well. Um, so I, I enjoyed that match overall. It was cool to see Callahan show up. And, uh I agree with you on that triple threat female match. It was, I don't understand Gail, Gail Kim winning uh, other than just she just retired, right? So, like, she's done. Unless they bring her back. Maybe they're bringing her back for one more. It's impact, so you never know. She could be back next time. Um, probably the last match that – or not the last match, but the second to last match that – that uh, the Big Mo, Bobby Lashley uh, versus Moose and, and Bonner was probably I, maybe the match of the night just because it was just kind of interesting and they did some weird stuff that I didn't expect. So it was the most intriguing to watch. Um, 
And then Eli Drake and, and Johnny Impact kind of let me down because I, I thought that they could have had a better match, uh, specifically given the amount of time they were given. I think they were given like 15 to 20 minutes. There were some cool spots, like uh, Johnny Johnny Impact getting whipped into the uh, the guardrails and sliding underneath. I thought it was like really, really cool. I'd never seen anyone do that. Like he slid completely underneath the guardrail and kind of disappeared, which was really cool. But uh, overall, the finish so sucked. Good, a lot man. of the finishes on this... A lot of the finishes sucked. Uh, man, I'm just not into Alberto Del Rio at this point. Or Alberto El Patron. Like, I, to me, he's fucked this company so hard in so many different ways. Whether it's his fault or not his fault, it doesn't matter. But it's I hated his promo. He was such a dick. The Jeremy Borash and shit. <laughs> It's just, I don't know. Like, Overall, I know it's, like, a, it's a work, but it doesn't help, you know, us like him. So, overall, I liked uh, I liked Johnny Mundo. I liked EC3 and James Storm. I liked Moose. I liked Eddie Edwards. That was the highlight, seeing those guys and, and just wishing that they had more to do. Uh, same with Matt Seidel. I think Matt Seidel's phenomenal. I wish he didn't fail all those drug tests in WWE. Like, <laughs> but yeah, like uh, P. Williams like his idol Rob Van Dam. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, yeah, man, it was weird. It was uh, the crowd didn't seem super into it. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to crap on it as a pay per view, but I heard they were paying people to come to the show or giving away yeah. free tickets. Like, yep. Uh, just. Bad overall feels bad. Like I want impact to it be just good. Sucks. I felt like they they They're made a talent. step in the right direction. Yeah. And then they took two steps know, back, though. and then one step forward, and then two steps back, and it, it's just a headache to even watch this shit half the time. Um, to try to even keep up with what they're doing because they they're losing so many people so fast and and suspending people and people are leaving and coming back and, and it's the storylines are always all up in the air and they're trying their fucking best like the wrestlers are trying their best but this part of what makes a good wrestling match is the story behind it like Okada versus Omega what's the story well they beat their at, they beat the shit out of each other for eight months that's the story like the title means a lot to Kenny Omega it's like they don't have not anywhere, no. like not in And so many creative minds are were involved or have been involved with that. I mean, not too long ago they had Jeff Jarrett, Dutch Mantel, uh, Jim Cornette. Like I keep on saying, like obviously not all of them are writing, but it's like if you guys have all those dudes, Bruce Pritchard, how the hell are you not getting them to write? Like I don't, I'm not gonna even go into it. We're not gonna spend that much more time on Impact. Like like Christian said, it's like I just feel you know. I don't want to talk shit about it, but I feel bad for the talent. Obviously, you know, you just don't want to hear stuff like that. But, uh, hey, man, match I'm going to play as soon as I'm done talking to you tonight. I'm going to play as uh, Mr. Johnny Nitro Impact, whatever, Morrison, everything. And I'm going to go against Kenny Omega and AJ Styles in a triple threat ladder match. And I think I can win. I don't know, but I think I can win. I think you have a shot until Ricochet shows up. So Ricochet shows up and screws up. Wait, are you Prince Puma? You're not Prince Puma. You're you're Ricochet. You idiot. It was a never mind. Hey, all right. Let's, let's go and talk about a little bit of uh, New Japan while we have time, because uh, I definitely want to talk about the main lineup for Survivor Series before we stop. But uh, 
Chris, do you want to like go over these matches a little bit? Um, I'll just ask you, how did you like Marty Skrull versus Will Ospreay? Man, it was underwhelming. Uh, Marty Skrull has a great gimmick, but he hasn't he hasn't shown me. It's it's the same as I feel about Cody Rhodes. It's not that he's bad in the ring. He just hasn't showed me that next level. Like Trent Beretta turned on a level that was very unexpected in the Omega match. Um, and Juice Robinson, for instance, can turn on a level that's kind of unexpected. And I don't know that Marty Scroll's there. I think he's got a great gimmick. Um, I think he's very entertaining, but it's not like wrestling wise. I don't know that I'm like, oh shit, did you see that match? You know what I mean? I agree. I think that one thing that, you know, bothered me about the match was it almost seemed like Marty Scroll couldn't keep up with Will. And, you know, they've, masked, they've wrestled a bunch of times, but. Will Osprey's so quick on his feet. It seemed like when they were doing sequences together, Marty just was going in slow motion because he was next to him doing it like a hair slower. It's just a very awkward thing. It just makes it look... It takes you out of it completely. Um, It's like seeing a dude start chugging a Budweiser beer after they show it to the camera in a a freaking movie. You know, it, it just... It's noticeable, and it makes it... It takes the suspension of disbelief away from it a little bit, uh, you know, to me at least. And it was a good match. I like Will Osprey a lot. He's one of my favorites. Um, I just – I uh, really want to be just going off of that, when you're talking about pure speed and what they're able to do in the ring, I really want to see in the future, which I know it's happened before, but I really, really want Will Osprey versus Kushida because I think those two together would tear the fucking house down. Will Osprey and Kushida, I feel like they would tear the house down. I, I feel like it'd be fun. Oh, their matchup, I, the one where he won against Kushida was amazing. I mean, they did some crazy shit. Um, yeah, I know. I want the rematch. That's what I'm saying. I, I like. I know that's happened, but like to me, Kushida should always be right there um, with Will Osprey. Like, well, the crazy thing is, though, just Chris, lost and we're gonna get a. We're going to get a four-way with Kushida, uh, Takahashi, and Marty Skrull, and Will Ospreay, which apparently uh, Japan does not do four-ways or three-ways or anything like that very often. So it should be pretty interesting, I guess, at Wrestle Kingdom. For the belt, between the four of them, who do you think is going to win? Takahashi already has the belt, right? He's the international champion. Currently, probably, uh, from I would think that that Osprey retains, and it sets up a match with Kashida because I feel like him and Kashida have one match left in them. To be honest, and I feel like that'll be like the real banger. Like it'll be a low key banger. Like not a lot of people will talk about it, but people that watch the show will be like, "Holy fuck, that was a great match!" <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right, well, um. Let's go to the next one, man. So we talked about what happened afterwards, but Beretta and Kenny Omega for the U.S. Heavyweight Championship. It was an awesome match. Um, I was really surprised by Beretta. God, there were so many, like, neck bumps on both guys. Like, ugh. I don't know. Um, that type of stuff really worries me. That that pile driver on the apron, that was pretty disturbing. I mean, it, it's great. And, and, and very strategic, and you know, obviously 
there's a lot more to it uh, as far as, like, protection. But some of the stuff that they do in these matches is just crazy. And the amount of punishment these men can take is ridiculous. How did you like Kenny Omega versus Beretta? I thought it was a great match. I wish they would do a uh, GoFundMe page for some actual tables in, in New Japan. Like, Jesus. <laughs> like, there was Jesus, one part where man, Omega duplexed him into a metal rail. <laughs> like, oh, um, so painful. They're great, but it's every Kenny Omega match. And I think that all the guys that are going against him are like, we want to have that match with Kenny Omega. So they're putting it all out. I think they're um, saying, that motherfucker's insane. I think that's what they're saying. Yeah, probably. Uh, but anyways, it was it, it was a it, it may have been my favorite match of the night just because I didn't expect Beretta to be as good as he was. I did really enjoy Kenny Omega pulling his uh, head through the table after he did that double stomp, like he was a uh, Jack from The Shining, like Jack Nicholson. He was like, "Here's that Omega." Was awesome. <laughs> it's pretty so like he's still consistently one of my favorites but I thought that was one of the like if not the best one of the better matches of my Tanahashi fucking burned the house down but we'll get there yeah and um, let's let's go right to it since we already talked about the Jericho thing George Tanahashi went against uh, Kota Ibushi great match uh, just between two gentlemen where a lot of people uh, I don't know New Japan uh, well enough to be able to make this claim but to a lot of people, Kota Ibushi reminds a lot of people of Tanahashi. And Kota Ibushi is also influenced by Tanahashi. So it, was, it, it wasn't like a student-teacher match, but it was had that same type of feel to it, like the story. Uh, uh, Kota Ibushi wanted Tanahashi to take him seriously. And uh, he beat him with the G1. And so this was all for the title. And these guys also beat the living shit out of each other. I have a little note. This is built almost... From the start, around Tanahashi working the leg with such righteous fury and intense frequency that even Ibushi, who's been known to occasionally wrestle like his legs are made of solid, impenetrable steel, has no choice but to buckle under the weight of the assault. But Ibushi has the Kamorji, the unblockable wrist lock knee strike to the face in his back pocket. And you have to think if he can get it off, it's light out for the old ace. That was, um, I want to say, Wrestling Insider. But it was a great quote. I thought it really summed up uh, the match itself. It was, it was a lot of fun. And if Chris Jericho goes on past Omega and wants to stick around, I would love to see him in a match with Tanahashi. See both guys, a little bit out of their prime, but still at top levels. Going at it would be a lot of fun, but that's another dream match, and I'm okay with just having the one I got. Chris, how did you feel? Man, I agree, I agree with you completely, and this match was fucking phenomenal. And, and considering that Tanahashi is still not 100% in wrestling, it's fucking great. Like, he's a monster. He, he will get looked over in every top 10 wrestling list, probably, but, like, his name should be definitely in the top 10 right now. I think even in our list, he got bumped out. But, like, Tanahashi's up there, dude. Like, he's phenomenal. I just wish that I spoke Japanese so that I could really appreciate the rock and roll Tanahashi as much as I should. I love that quality about him, the fact that he loves rock and roll music. <clears throat> it's just, you know, relatable. Um, but, yeah, Tanahashi's a badass. I mean, 
and not only that, like, there's there's a lot of him that reminds me of Shawn Michaels, a lot of him that reminds me of Ricky Steamboat. He just he's he's by himself. He's definitely to New Japan. I think uh, what John Cena is at WWE. He held on and held out for a long time period, and he's a badass performer. And um, yeah, great match, a lot of fun. The event itself, some of the other matches, it just I don't have enough time, Chris, to be able to watch some of these um, these multi tag matches. And I thought that bull rope match was just was all right uh, between um, Suzuki and uh, Yano. But uh, the, Warriors Chaos the Eagles, Los Cinco's Bonables, that was pretty good. But other than that, yeah, no, was, nothing. I, was, I went right over it, basically. I was going to say the evil, the match the evil was in had some really, really cool spots in it. And evil is like one of my favorite Japanese wrestlers. I think he's got a really, really cool gimmick, and I, I love his moveset. And uh, also with Tanahashi, I always explain to him is like, he's like Chris Jericho cranked to 10, like every time he steps in the ring, because they remind me so much of each other, even though uh, obviously there's a language barrier, but the way they perform in the ring, some of the facial emotions and stuff, like he reminds me a lot of Chris Jericho with the, come on, baby, and all that, like uh, in his moveset. Um, his technical ability, he reminds me of Chris Jericho a lot. But Chris Jericho is awesome, so that's not that thing. Yeah, no, and I mean, that's, I think that's why I said I love <laughs> – that's what actually um, fueled my uh, my debate. I loved when um, Don Callis said that Tanahashi is so over in Japan. He is to Japan what Bret Hart is to Canada. You know, it was a good comparison, uh, just being that guy that's so over in his, in his home. Uh, he's a national treasure, I guess. Uh, I'm sure he's been in the movies over there. But anyways, let's go over while we have 10 minutes left. Uh, I just want to go over this the, the main the main uh, elimination uh, match uh, now that we have the updated thing. So our team captain is Kurt Angle for Raw. Uh, Kurt Angle, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, and Jason Jordan against uh, team captain Shane McMahon with Randy Orton, Bobby Roode, Shinsuke Nakamura, and John Cena. Uh, obviously, for both sides, uh, I would say that Jason Jordan is the weakest link on one. And even though Shane will last, he's probably the weakest link on his side. I'm assuming that Bobby Roode will go first um, out of this whole entire thing. I want to say that even though it's due to a lot of moving and maneuvering, not only does this card look really fun, Chris, especially if we end up getting, um, you know, if, if they end up having uh, Natalia lose next week, and Charlotte wins and goes against Alexa Bliss. Um, I think that, you know, starting with this elimination match, this is a really good match, and I think it's going to cause a really a lot of cool moments in the ring. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think John Cena needs to win here. I feel like he needs to, he needs to be the guy that gets the pin. Um, after taking the few losses he's taken recently, I feel like you're going John Cena at WrestleMania. John Cena needs to so I feel like John Cena is probably going to get the pin, to be honest. Uh, probably over Samoa Joe. I feel like Braun Strowman will go out earlier because people will team up on him. Maybe they'll give Nakamura a pin over Strowman or something, but I feel like John Cena needs to win. Yeah, I could see that. It's it down to Braun Strowman and John, John Cena, and John gets a win. Uh, I, I could do that. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing certain things like Nakamura and Kurt Angle in the ring together. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good pairings. Seeing Bobby Roode get a couple shots at Samoa Joe. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, hey, man, I kind of uh, – <laughs> I think I called this 
if it happens at least, but we might be getting the Shield versus the New Day. Um, are you excited about that? I am, and I'm glad to hear that Roman Reigns is doing better because it sounded like he was doing fucking awful last week. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to it. And the way they booked the New Day showing up and fucking with uh, Ambrose and Rollins, it kind of makes the New Day foolish. But uh, the New Day is really good at playing both roles. I mean, that's how they built their entire thing. I mean, to begin with, everyone was booing the New Day, and they turned it around. So I feel like it doesn't hurt the New Day at all. And uh, it'll be a good match. I just hope they don't make Xavier Woods sell the entire time. I hope he gets a little bit of offense against somebody. Um, other than that, like, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I feel like it's going to be a thing because Roman Reigns, uh, they said Roman Reigns was good to go, so I'm assuming this is going to be a match. So, uh, I he feel was like throwing shots was, uh, yeah. at Big E on Twitter, Christopher, saying that, you know, he's much bigger or he's a big dog. I don't know. I think he was talking about his dong. Anyways, you know Roman Reigns. He's silly. Let's, let's go over the girls' match, okay? We don't know the last person. Um, apparently there's going to be a three-way match between one of the participants and then Mickey James and Bailey. The winner will go on to join uh, with Team Alicia Fox, but it's Alicia Fox, Nia Jax, Asuka, Sasha Banks, and probably, honestly, it's either going to be Becky Lynch or, or, uh, or, or not Becky Lynch, Mickey James or Bailey, one or the other. But they're going to be going against Becky Lynch, Carmella, Tamina, Naomi, and either Charlotte or... Uh, Natalia, uh, how do you feel about this? I think we're going to get, once again, a lot of great moments with pretty much the whole entire women's division. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really care for Nia Jax at this point at all, but I feel like it'll be a fun match. I, I want Team SmackDown to go over here. I feel like Charlotte Flair needs to win, especially if they're going to be bringing in the poor horsewomen-type gimmick towards WrestleMania. I feel like Charlotte getting a win here would be a big deal to set her up for a title shot. Um, but originally you had said something about Paige maybe showing up, and I, I don't know if that's up in the air. That'd be like a spectacle. So I'd I'd be okay with Paige replacing Bailey. Um, they buried. Bailey. I said that because it was a rumor, and then they announced a three-way match, and Paige is not a part of that. So I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, so. Bailey more than likely, which is fine. Um, maybe Bailey turns on Sasha, or Sasha turns on Bailey during the match. That's about the most interesting thing they can get out of the Raw side. Uh, Charlotte winning is the most important thing to me. I feel like that she needs to win either her or Naomi, um, because I feel like they're the they're the two that are going to carry SmackDown. Because Paige is coming back, and I'm assuming she's going to end up going to Raw. And I don't feel like they're sold on Nia, so they need someone to go against Oscar. And Sasha, Oscar, uh, of course, their champion, who's probably also going to lose. Like the... I think everyone's looking forward to seeing Oscar go against Charlotte. I think that's going to be a really cool moment. Like I said, unless Charlotte and Natalia switch out, and then that's not an option. But another thing, I mean, could we see Oscar to to save to save her so she doesn't get pinned or anything like that? If she's not the last person on her team. Maybe annihilating someone outside and getting counted out. They don't do countouts in uh, the survivor or the Survivor Series matches anymore, so probably not. So maybe Oscar gets the clean win. I would assume they'll probably put her over Becky or Naomi if they go that route. All right, last question. Uh, three other matches for the championship belt. I'm just going to get your predictions. Uh, you know. 
on who do you think is going to win them uh, between Brock Lesnar and AJ Styles for the WWE Universal Champion. Or no, no, there's no belt on the line. I don't know why. Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles. Uh, the Miz versus Baron Corbin. And Alexa Bliss either against Natalia or Charlotte. How do you feel about those matches? I feel like Lesnar is going to end up beating AJ Styles in some form or fashion, uh, unfortunately. Uh, if they're smart, After they'll one have five. They're smart, they'll have AJ Styles win, but they won't do that. So I'm going to go Lesnar and Intercontinental title. I feel like Miz is going to win this. I feel like they're soured on Baron Corbin a little bit, and they realize how important the Miz is, uh, especially with his wife and the uh, Total Divas thing. I feel like they're probably going to give Miz the win here, give him something to brag about, and then build up an angle between maybe him and Jason Jordan or even him and Kurt Angle down the line uh, for WrestleMania to give Miz something to do. Uh, and then for the women's championship, Alexa Bliss versus Natalia, I have Natalia actually winning this match somehow. Um, and it could be due to interference from someone else, uh, maybe even Paige. If she's not in this pay-per-view, she might show up and fuck with Alexa Bliss, and it makes sense for Natalia's character. So that's going to be my hot prediction takes. Um, if... Asuka gets eliminated. I'm assuming Nia Jax squashes her, and they set up Nia Jax versus Asuka, uh, by the way. on the uh, That's what I was trying to get out, but we're running out of time. So I think that might that might happen in that Survivor Series match. Yeah, I could see that. <clears throat> um, I definitely would like to all see Nia and Tamina lock up. I think that would be kind of fun. I feel like that's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff that happens at the Survivor Series. Uh, I think it's going to be better than, than last year. Um but either way, guys, it's been a really fun show. And, you know, we've been talking for a while. And we got like a minute left. We probably should wrap it up and go home. So um, thank you for listening, as always. And just keep on listening to Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Obviously join us on the chat, if you will, on Facebook at Geek Vibes Network. Or, yeah, yeah, Geek Vibes is a fun thing. You know, you can find us on, on uh, iTunes. You can find us on uh, Blog Talk Radio, obviously. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Check us out. Join us. I'd like to thank my co-host, Chris. Chris, I'm fucking up right towards the end. Uh, say goodbye to everyone. Hey, everybody. Glad you guys tuned in. If you get a chance, check out my match of the week, Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair, NWA World Championship match at the Great American Bash 1986. It's on the <laughs> WWE Network. Everyone have a great week. I love you guys. And uh, I'm probably doing something with the stream later. So look out for that. Yeah, baby. So you guys have a good one. Just remember, keep it easy. Listen to Geek 5 and Wrestling Geek Live. All right, peace out. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.